0: My name is Tamara Gober, and I'd like to personally welcome you to the Hope Community Podcast. Before we begin, if you live in the New York City area and are looking for a church home, I'd like to take this time to invite you to our services. For time and place, check out our website, hopecommunitynyc.com. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you are encouraged by this message, and we truly pray you walk away looking more like Jesus. So since we've been away for a little while, let's just remind ourselves just a moment of just a few things. Uh, The theme I've chosen uh, for 1 Corinthians is represent. Uh, And if you remember, it's because Paul loves Jesus, he loves the gospel, and he wants the gospel to be spread across everywhere. And he looked at the church in, in Corinth, which is a, like a church in New York City, basically. And he's seeing that the church is not representing the gospel well. They're not treating each other well, but they're also not representing the gospel to a lost world well. Whenever the lost world looks into the church, they're not seeing something that they want. They're seeing something they'd rather avoid. And unfortunately, too many times in today's day and age, we have churches that are seen the same way. I don't want to be a part of that. That's something I'd rather avoid. And so as we've been going through 1 Corinthians and as we've been seeing Paul admonish them to represent the gospel well, it's also a reminder for us as Hope Community that we need to represent the gospel well as well. Alright? So whenever people think about Hope Community, I don't want them to look at us and go, oh, there's too much bickering and fighting. They can't get along. There's way too much immorality going on in that church. No, like we have, we have one simple task as believers. You know what that simple task is? To live redeemed. That's it. That's our whole task as believers. It's all we've got to do is live redeemed. And if we live redeemed, Redeemed, then we will represent the gospel well. Because if we live redeemed, then we're gonna be following what scripture tells us to do and God knows what is gonna draw a lost world in. And so we get to look at this instruction and say, okay, we wanna be that, we wanna do that. We want people to say, I want what they have, right? But as we know, it turns out that living a transformed life is not that simple. Because what we have inside of us as well as the Holy Spirit, giving us that fuel to, to, that power to live out a transformed life, we have that flesh in us as well. And that's, that's where things get difficult. So you have these people in Corinth who are like, you know, yeah, we're, we're saved, uh, but they were letting the flesh live. They were not allowing the Holy Spirit to live and they were falling into it. And we can get there so quick and we can get there so easily because there's that remnant of that old self that's left in us, that selfishness that what we want is what we want, right? And, that, and, and we want to love ourselves sometimes more than we love other people. And that's whenever we start having a problem. We want to love ourselves more than we love God. And that's whenever we start having a bit of a problem, right? Um, and so that lust of our flesh, it does not represent the gospel well. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 together, all right? If you've got your paper Bibles, let's hear those pages flip. Um, if you've got your phones, then let's hear those screens tap, whatever it is that you have. Um, but let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And while you're turning there, um, I wanna preface this message uh, by talking about something that's very cherished in our society, all right? something that's very cherished in our society, which is our rights, our freedoms, right? That's something that we hear a lot. We hear about our rights. We hear about our freedoms a whole, whole lot, right? We talk about our rights. This is my right to do this. You don't have the right to do that, right? We, we hear that word all the time. We're talking about our rights, especially uh, you hear that a lot in our country. Um, we have a constitution right? That our founding fathers uh, put together. And uh, in, in within that uh, first paragraph, it talks about our rights. Specifically, it talks about our inalienable rights. That's our God-given rights, which is what? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? You guys could be on Jeopardy. Good job. In the pursuit of happiness, yes. And then, and then they were like, you know what, though? I don't think that our rights are being defined enough, so I think we need to make amendments to the Constitution. And what they have is these first ten amendments to the Constitution. Let's challenge your history. What are they known as? The Bill of Rights. Right? And that's, that's wherever we see like freedom of speech and freedom of religion. Right? That's, that's where our rights come in. And whenever you turn on the news, it's talking about infringing, infringing on our rights. We don't want people to infringe on our rights. The government can't infringe on our rights. We talk about our rights all the time. And what our world has done is it's convinced us to hold tightly to our rights. And not only hold tightly, but defend them at all cost. I'm going to defend my rights at all cost. And see, here's something that's cool. Within Christianity, we have freedoms as well. We have rights as well. And those rights are, I have the freedom because of Christ, right? I don't live under a law. I don't have to watch what I eat necessarily. I don't have to watch what I wear like they did whenever the law was in effect. I, don't have, I, can, I can eat meat I can, uh, I can wear interwoven clothings, right? Because the freedom, of, the freedom that Christ brought, he came and he fulfilled the law, and therefore it gave all of these people all of these rights, and so I have rights under Jesus. Like, and, and what happens is sometimes we take that mentality that we've been, you know, grown up with in our country, and we're like, we have our rights in our, co-, but we have our rights in our religion as well, and so I am going to defend my rights at all cost. That's what I'm going to do. So whatever it is, nobody can take my rights, my God-given rights. I'm I'm talking about religious rights now, like that Jesus has given us because he has died on the cross and fulfilled the law. We have these rights, and oftentimes we take that mentality of, well, if you don't like it, that's your problem, right? That's not my problem. That's your problem. As long as I'm living within my rights, if you've got an issue with it, then you can take it up with whomever you want to, but I'm going to continue doing it because it is within my rights to do so, right? But there's something greater than freedom. There's something greater than our rights. And that's what this whole chapter is all about. That thing that is greater than our rights. Something that should cause us to put our freedom in the back seat. And what is that? It's love. Love should cause us to take our freedoms when necessary, put them in the back seat so that we can love someone else. And we're going to break down what that means through this chapter right here. All right. So the goal of this scripture, well, first of all, let me do, let me just say this. Today is not Christianity 101. All right. Today is not Christianity 201. Today is like Christianity that a lot of people wish that people wouldn't talk about. Okay? It's Christianity that they, they wish they could just kind of sweep under the rug and let's just all go living our lives like we want to live our lives. So today is going to be extremely challenging for us. It's going to be extremely challenging for all of us because we have our rights and we love our rights and nobody can tell me what to do. And nobody can tell me to do anything different than live under my rights. All right? All right. So the goal of this scripture is to cause us to look beyond our freedoms and for the sake of love, be willing to sacrifice our freedoms for someone else. This week, we're gonna talk about sacrificing our freedoms for each other, for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Next week, we're gonna talk about sacrificing our freedoms for the lost. But today it's about each other. Giving up our freedom out of our love for others, we are representing the gospel well. All right, but not a lot of people talk about this stuff. So let's begin 1 Corinthians 8, chapter 8, verse 1. Let's read this first, uh, half of this first verse, because I want to give, give you guys some context here. He said, now regarding your question, all right, about food that has been offered to idols. So there's a question that some people have sent in to Paul. Paul, what about the food that has been sacrificed to idols? All right, so now this, this right here is the freedom that's at stake. All right? Background is super helpful here. So you've got two groups of believers. You've got group of believer number one. They're the meat eaters. Okay? They're the ones that love the steaks. They're the ones that love just the meat. And look, I fall into that category. Look, and I can't believe how expensive steak is right now. It is ridiculous. All right? Even at Costco, I'm like, are you serious? I cannot give you that much money for that meat right there. All right? But I love it. And you've got group number one, they love the meats, and they are free in Christ. They love to eat it. And what it is, what's going on right now is there is meat that is being sold uh, in the temples, in, in pagan temples that have been sacrificed to idols. And they're looking at that meat and they're going, that's great. I'm gonna eat it. That's what I'm gonna do, right? So they're eating meat that has been sacrificed to idols. And they're also, like sometimes the temple, the pagan temple, will have like this feast because they have all this leftover meat from the sacrifice that had been done. And so they're like, well, let's just have a big old feast now, right? Who wants to come? And you've got Christians who are going into these temples and they're like, I'm free to do so. So I'm gonna go into these temples and I'm gonna partake in these feasts that are going on as well. But you've got got Christian group number two who are looking at them and going, I cannot believe it. I cannot believe that you call yourself a Christian, and you're going to go eating, a, eating meat that has been gone through the ritual of being sacrificed to an idol, to a false god. I cannot be- Don't you know the Bible, group one? Don't you know that we are supposed to get as far away from that kind of stuff as we possibly can? Like, we need to get away from that stuff. And, the, and you've got them. I can't believe not only are they eating it, they're going into the temples and what's happening is they're looking at these Christians and they're going, some of them are just going, you've ruined your testimony with me. I know that you've tried to teach me things, but now it's ruined. I can't do that anymore. I cannot be a part of that anymore. I, in fact, your testimony with me has been completely ruined. And you've got other Christians who are looking at that and going, I do not agree with what you're doing, but if they're doing it, I mean, I, they're... they're Kind of mature, like in their faith, and if they're doing it, then, I mean, I guess I, I guess I'll do it too, right? So you've got those two groups of Christians. Um, you've got the meat eaters and the offended. All right, and uh, Scripture calls these uh, groups of believers one is the weaker and one is the stronger. All right, so which one do you think the the weaker is? Group A, the meat eaters, or group B, the offended? What's the weaker Christians in this? Deh. The offended, if you said the offended, you are correct. And if you, and because they're saying the stronger Christians, the the ones who are um, more mature in their faith, they're the ones that are eating the meat. Why? Because they understand something that the other group doesn't, all right? And this is what I mean by our freedoms or our rights. The truth is they have the right to eat whatever meat they want. Whatever meat they want, they can eat. It's not a sin in of itself to partake in the eating of that. It is not a sin to do that, right? Even even food that has been sacrificed to an idol, why? Why is it not sinful? Because that God is not real. That God is a figment of their imagination. And so if there is no real God that's being sacrificed to, then what does that mean for the sacrifice? It's just motions, it's absolutely meaningless, right? It would be like a child who puts on a police officer uniform and is convinced they are a cop, right? Like that's, that's what's going on, you know, in, in this. Like there's nothing to it. No matter how much that kid is like, I am a police officer, you are not. No matter how much they are like, this meat has been sacrificed. No, it hasn't because there is no such thing as the God that you sacrifice to. There's only one God. And see, group A of the Christians, they understand this. And they're like, because there is no real God that you're sacrificing, and there's no law anymore that says I can't eat this meat, what's stopping me from going to the, to the market and buying the meat that's been sacrificed? There's nothing. I have my rights. I have my freedoms. And here's honestly what I think we usually would want to happen in this scripture, is we want to read this scripture, and we want Paul to look at the immature believers and go, suck it up. Like, we've been given our freedoms. So deal with it. Stop complaining. Can't you just mature? But that's not what he says. That's not the group he addresses. That's not the group that he gives the job of of, of making unity in the church, of providing unity in the church. That's not who he talks to here, right? I would, if it was me, I would be instructing the people who were offended by the meat. Why? Because I love meat and I want to eat it. Don't tell me that I can't eat it, right? That's exactly what I would hope, but that's not exactly what happens, all right? So our culture and our flesh have taught us that no one should keep us from our rights, so we protect them, and we carry them into our faith, and if anybody has a problem with it, that's on them, that's not on me, but that is the opposite of what this scripture is gonna teach us today, all right? That's what I'm saying. People wanna sweep this under the rug, guys. People are like, I don't, don't talk to me about my freedoms. Don't talk to me about the things that I love to do. You telling me I can't do it, no. And he's gonna talk, and, and, and I know some of you guys said the, the more mature group was, the, um, was group B. Uh, you're not that far off uh, because he's actually reprimanding group A in this, okay? Um, so let's watch how the scriptures guide them to unity, and, and let's also consider how it can bring unity to us in our church today, among us, all right? So we're going we're gonna to dive into the scripture. We're going to read the whole thing, and with that background that I've just given you, you're going to be able to hear this scripture and go, wow, that makes a whole, whole lot of sense, okay? So I've got it up on the screen here if you need it, um, but you can read along in your Bible as well. Uh, I've decided to read from the New Living Translation today uh, because of some specific wordings. But if you've got another translation and you're sitting there, I say by all means, pull out that translation and read along with another translation. It will give you a better idea of what's being said uh, with this. All right, so here we go. Verse 1b, because we already read 1a. So he says this, "'Yes, we know that we have all knowledge,' Okay? He's speaking to group A right now, the ones who have the knowledge, the ones who have the understanding that meat really isn't sacrificed to idols because there is no God. There is no like false God. Yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue. Okay, guys? He's like, we all have the knowledge. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it makes us feel puffed up, it makes us feel arrogant, it is love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much, but the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. So what about eating meat that has been offered to idols? Well, we all know that an idol is not really a God and that there is only one God. There may be so-called gods both in heaven and on earth. And some people actually worship many gods and many lords, but for us, there is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom we live. And there is one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things were created and through whom we live. However, group A, however mature believers, however, not all believers know this. Some are a little younger in their faith. Some are a little more immature in their faith. Says some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as the worship of real gods, and their weak consciences are violated. And it's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it, and we don't gain anything if we do eat it. But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For if others see you, your brothers and sisters in Christ, right? For if others see you with your quote-unquote superior knowledge, eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? Even even though they think it's wrong. So because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And when you sin against another believer— by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. So if what I eat, I love Paul's words here. So if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live. For I don't wanna cause another believer to stumble. I don't wanna do that. I love the heart of Paul. I love the heart of God. That is the heart of God, all right? So today I've got three points that I'm going to expound on, and uh, I'm going I'm to put those up for you right here and right now. Number one, being love is more edifying than being right. Number two, love cares more for the heart than the head. And number three, superior knowledge without love is actually inferior knowledge. All right? All right. So we're gonna talk about these things. We're gonna break these things down just a little bit. So number one, being love is more edifying than being right. That's a hard pill to swallow. How many of you guys like being right? Anybody in the room? Yeah, me too. Like, man, I used to be like keyboard warrior whenever it was like, you know, whenever I was a little bit younger in my faith and there'd be people online and they're like, well, God, this, this, and this. I'd be like, oh yeah, no, God, this, 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 right? take that, right? I want to be right. There's something in our pride. There's something about us that just wants to be right. We want to be able to school everybody. We feel superior whenever there's somebody else in our life that doesn't know as much as we do, and we're like, well, technically, right? We say something like that, and, and as soon as somebody says that, you're like, oh no, here it comes, right? Oh man. All right, here it comes. School me on it. What you got for me, right? We like doing that every once in a while on some things. And he says in verse one, while knowledge makes us feel important, and it does. Knowledge makes us feel important. He's This is what he says. It is love that strengthens the church. Love is what strengthens the church. So knowledge and love, okay? Let's, let's not say that, love, that knowledge is not important because knowledge is important, okay? So don't, don't just be like, oh, well then why am I in Bible study all the time? Why am I sitting here learning all these things? Let me just go love. I'm just gonna go love. That's all I'm gonna do. I don't need the Bible on anything. All I need to know then is I need to go love. No, like knowledge is important as well. Knowledge and love should be in a relationship together. And here's how it should work, all right? Knowledge informs love while love directs knowledge, okay? Knowledge informs love, but love directs that knowledge. And we're gonna break that down just a little bit, all right? So knowledge informs love, okay? We can't love without knowing what love is, all right? I wanna know. Love. I'm telling y'all, I got a problem because I always songs always pop into my head about things, right? And and but Foreigner had something going, all right? They had something going on right there. They want to know what love is. Yeah, we should want to know what it is, right? Whenever you look into scripture, whenever Jesus was asked about the greatest commandments, what did he say? Love God and love your neighbor, right? Love God and love people. So that's the greatest commandment according to Jesus, love. Love God and love people. But here's the thing, how do we do that? How do we love? We can't just, it's, it's just some arbitrary statement unless we know what it is, right? We can't just go out and just start, oh, I'm supposed to love? Let me start loving. How do we do that, right? So where do we find what love is? We find that obviously in Scripture is where we find what love is. But have you ever met somebody that needed to go back to, like, love school and learn what it is? Right? It's not a thing, but it should be a thing. It's called Bible study. (laughs) All right. But, like, no, like, we, 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 how many of you guys are the person that once needed to go back to love school and figure out what love is? Right? How many of you guys said, I love you, to someone way before you knew what love really was? Right? I can stand here in front of you today and say, I use that word way before I actually knew what love is, right? Some 17-year-old kid, I love you. Okay, bye. No idea. Looking back at it now, I'm like, oh, you moron. Like, you have no—you're throwing words out. You think you know what they mean, right? been married for 17 years, almost 18 years, coming in June. Let's go. And look— I ain't got it all figured out. I don't, I don't have love all figured out. Like I'm still learning that, but here's something I know for sure. I understand love a lot better now than I did, especially between my wife and I. I think about some of our younger years. I ain't gonna share testimony, but I think about some of and I'm like, man, you had no idea what love is, right? You know what? You know what? You know what most people think? That love is something that can be lost. Some, love can, can just disappear one day. No, it can't. I don't, here's, here's something I, that I think. It's a true conviction of mine. I don't think love is something you fall out of. I think it's something you grow into. That's what I think love is. It's not something you fall out of. You don't fall out of love. God's never gonna fall out of love with us, all right? It's, and we're never gonna fall out of love with God. If we do, we never had love in the first place. I'm never gonna fall out of love with Tamara unless I didn't understand what love was in the first place. All right? But what I'm doing is, as we've been married year after year, what I'm figuring out, oh, this is love. Oh, so when I don't like you, this is hurt to me. When I don't like you, I'm still going to love you. Yeah, that's what, that's what love is. And we've gotta figure out those things, right? So knowledge is important because it informs love. But as we are learning about love, it's supposed to then direct our knowledge. Because we can't just have knowledge in itself. That doesn't do any good to anyone. We have to have the knowledge of what love is. Then we have to allow that love to then direct all of our knowledge in every conversation that we have with everyone. There's a beneficial way to use knowledge and a harmful way to use knowledge, all right? There's a harmful way. So love directs our knowledge. Listen to this statement. This is so good. This isn't mine love without truth is hypocrisy. We just talked about that. Love without truth is hypocrisy. Why? Because you don't know what it is. Stop lying to yourself. But truth without love is brutality. Truth without love is brutality. I know that we love being right. I know, you know, that if we know what is true, we want to let people know it. I know that that makes us feel good. But here's, here's a good quote. This one is mine. Ready? A superior attitude brings resistance rather than restoration. Just know that. I've learned that from experience. A superior attitude brings resistance. It doesn't bring restoration. If you've just got knowledge and you've just got this superior attitude, you're just going to have division going on. There's not going to be any restoration, all right? I love logic, but logic alone rarely solves problems. Logic alone rarely does, right? If your child thinks there's a monster under the bed, you are not going to ease their fear by telling them how irrational and dumb they are, okay? I mean, is there a monster under the bed? No, but you can't go in there and be like, you idiot. First of all, there is no monster. There's no such thing as... Why are you so erratic? Like what is, like your child is then gonna, you are gonna then shut the door, walk out. Your child is A, gonna still be afraid and they're gonna be feel very dumb. They're gonna feel very belittled. So what did your knowledge do? Reeked a whole lot of chaos, all right? Needs to be directed by love, right? What does your child need? They need, sure they have a weaker understanding, right? But what they need is for somebody to come in and hug them and tell them how safe they are. They need to check the bed. They need to assure them that it's safe. They need someone to give them strength by their love, not by their knowledge. That's what they need, all right? In church, I know more than someone who is right, all right, your fellow brother and sister needs someone who is love, more than someone who is right. Yeah, you need to speak truth into their life, but the thing they really need it is to be cloaked in love whenever you speak that truth. I love what he says, knowledge puffs up, makes us feel important, but love strengthens the church. All right? Number two, and it feeds right into this, love cares more for the heart than it does the head. Okay? The truth is there's no real sacrifice because there's no real idol. But look again what is said right here in verse 7 through 9. He says, however, not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as worship of a real God. And their weak consciences are violated. It's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it. If we don't gain anything, if we do, but you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. What does that word stumble mean? It literally means to cause someone to sin by your actions, right? We often call our life of faith lived out as our walk with Christ, right? Sometimes whenever you want to sound real spiritual, you walk up to somebody, how's your walk, (laughs) right? That's what we say. But what happens during a walk? You can stumble. And there's going to be things that are placed in the path that can cause you to stumble. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be someone that is supposed to be protecting someone else. Don't be the person that lays that rock down in their path when they're not looking and it causes them to dive off into sin, right? In order to have peace, rather than admonishing the weaker believer to have more of a mature view, Scripture's admonishing the more mature believer to care for the weaker believer and not cause them to stumble. And you might say, well, how would that make them stumble exactly, right? If there's no real God and they go ahead and eat that meat, then are they really sinning? Like, is it really causing them to stumble? If we have this liberty, yet they aren't convinced of this liberty yet, even if they go ahead and do it, doesn't that really mean they're not really sinning in the first place, Here's the thing, the sin isn't committed in the eating of the meat. The sin is committed when you cause them to go against their conscience, against their convictions. Let me show you guys the scripture. Romans chapter 14, all right, listen to this. It's, it's like the Bible like, goes together on purpose, it's weird. He says, this is what Paul is saying in Romans, I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it's wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Does this all sound familiar? Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God, and others will approve of you too. It's going to go well for you as well. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it's wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. He just said wine, oh my goodness. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you are doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. Wow. That's incredible. So whenever, that that means that I'm causing someone else to stumble. Oh, is it technically a sin? Yes. Because it's not just the eating of the meat that's the sin. It's the leading someone to go against their convictions. And what are their convictions there for? Because they want to honor God with as much as they can. Like their, their motives are pure. They're not just being legalistic in this, right? They're not just saying, well, I just think we should stay away from the meats. Like that's not it. Like they're not, just, they're not just being legalistic, okay? They're actually saying, I wanna honor God as much as I can. And so I'm gonna stay away from meats that have been sacrificed to idols. And then you got people coming along and be like, you are so immature. It is not real. Just eat it. Just go ahead with it, right? Or I don't care what you do, if you do it or if you don't do it. Nah, man, that's not love. That is not love at all. So the burden of peace is on the mature believer. All right, the, the loving thing to do is to care more for their heart than their head. Your job is not to correct them in that moment, okay? That's not what he's saying. Don't, don't just sit there and be like, well, let's start here. All right, God has given us freedom. I mean, if you want to, you can, but it better be in a very, 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 very loving way. But if they have a strong conviction about it, then the thing that you need to do is care more about their heart than you do convincing them that you are correct in this, okay? And now, we don't have this, like, you're like, all right, Greg, like, how's this, what does this have to do with us at all? Like, how does this apply? Because I don't know anybody personally that is, A, eating meat sacrificed to idols, like, I didn't see that bodega, okay? Like, I didn't see that store where it was like, we've got this meat that has been sacrificed and, and, and there's no problem going on within the church about those things, right? So how does this apply to us? How is this applicable to the church, you know, here and now? Well, actually, very well, all right? Um, because the nature of this problem still exists in the church. The nature does exist, all right? There are things that some of us in this room engage in that go against another person's conscience, All right? It's just true. And some things that might cause someone to look at someone else in disappointment or they would use as an excuse to go against their own conscience. Well, that person is a strong Christian and if they do it, right, even though I'm convicted about it, then it must not be wrong, right? Well, it is a sin for them as we just saw, right? Now, here's the thing. Let's get, I'm just gonna be super transparent. Being a pastor, you've got all kinds of eyes on you all the time, okay? Like if you're in the ministry, You've got a lot of eyes on you all the time. And uh, and personally, like whenever we first became youth ministers, I had some convictions um, that were about freedom. I've got the rights to do certain things, right? But was it beneficial to the people who were watching me, the people who were looking at me? See, what I need to be cared about, I don't need to be caring about what my freedoms are. I need to be caring about what other people's convictions are. Because I want to, if I'm going to minister to those people, if God's put me in, in those people's lives, then I put my freedom in the back seat so that I can minister the best that I can to those people that are in front of me, right? The people that God has given to me. We all have ministries. It's not just me. We all do. And our ministry, first of all, according to the scriptures, each other. We need to protect each other. We don't need to cause one another to stumble. We need to protect each other, right? And, um, and I'll just kind of, you know, share with you kind of how I put you know, uh, this scripture into practice just to give it some meat on the bones. No pun intended. Um, but uh, but like, for instance, um, you guys have probably noticed I ain't real inked up, <laughs> all right? It's just true. Like, I just don't got a lot of tattoos, all right? If you want tattoos, you can go to Mike for that, okay? Um, but uh, I just don't. And you're like, is it because I think that tattoos are sinful? No, I don't, all right? I don't think so. And look, if you're sitting in this room right now and you're like, I do, Well, let's have a conversation about it, okay? Seriously, let's have a conversation about it. Um, But whenever I first started uh, in ministry, okay, Um, there were a lot of students um, that felt like that it was a sin, right? Because it it would come up in conversations. Well, I don't feel like it's a sin. Well, I feel like it's a sin, right? So here's what my job is in that moment, okay? I can either get a tattoo. First of all, I'm not a real big fan of pain in the first place. um, And they're expensive. But, uh, but like, I, I'm not, I'm not like, like, I didn't look at them and go, you, you immature people, I'm going to get a tattoo and you can deal with it, right? Here's, here's what my mentality was on it. I can either offend some by getting one, like some in my youth ministry by getting one or offend zero by not. Seemed pretty simple to me, right? So in that moment, I just decided not to, decided not to do it, right? Um, now... Have my convictions changed? Um, my convictions haven't changed at all. Like, I, I don't think that it's a sin then. I still don't think it's a sin now. Um, would I get inked up? I'm trying to get Tamara to, to do it. I said, if she gets one first, then I'll do it, which I feel pretty safe. Um, but, uh, but like, but you know what? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Like, I, if, it's whatever. And, and maybe I will in the future because as, as culture changes, you know, as you go certain places and things change, right? Um, then you're able to, to have some of the freedoms. You're able to live out some of those freedoms, okay? But again, my goal is not like, can I just get somewhere where I can be free? No, it's where, God, do you want me? And then how can I live in love, right? Um, some of you guys who have hung out with us, maybe eaten dinner with us and stuff like that, we don't drink. We don't, we don't touch alcohol. Why? Is it because we think touching alcohol is a sin? No, all right? We don't think that. But the reason that we don't do it is the same reason because we don't want anybody. We don't want to be anywhere. Where somebody sees us with a drink of alcohol and it ruins our witness with them, we don't want to be anywhere where somebody sees us with a drink of alcohol and somebody who's convicted about drinking and and and, and doesn't think that it honors the Lord causes them to then justify it, and be led into st- led into sin and stumble right. So so it's just easier for us to just not even mess with it right. I'm not saying that everybody that's what everybody should do and and and. Look, if you're here right now and you're going, he just came at us with tattoos and drinking. No, I did not. I'm sharing with you, like, that's the beauty of freedom. That's the beauty of liberty. That's the, view, the beauty of being free in Christ. I can't stand. Look, I am not a dictator of your actions. I'm a shepherd of your heart. That's what I am. And so I'll stand up here and I'll direct your heart. You're responsible for your actions. Okay. All right. But at least, that's what I'm saying, people wanna kick this stuff under the rug. At least, at least be loving enough to just check and to say, am I going to cause somebody else to stumble? Am I going to lead somebody into sin with this? Um, there, there was a, early on in our youth ministry, there was a girl um, who, uh, well, we had a lady who was a Sunday school teacher, okay? And we had a girl uh, who was in her Sunday school class. And this girl comes up to me like during a Wednesday night okay, I need to talk to you, okay, like real dramatic, I need to talk to you, okay, like she's about to share with me something crazy, all right, well, let's, let's go talk about this for a I was at the store, and they didn't see me, but I saw them, Mrs. So-and-so had alcohol in her shopping cart, I don't know what to do. Do we confront her? <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> Should we bring her forward as a church? <laughs> and, and go at, I was like, okay, look, I understand. All right. And, uh, and look, I'll, I'll talk to her about that. I'm so sorry. I don't know if I can listen to her anymore in Sunday school. I just don't know if I can. No, look, I promise her heart is good. Like just, you can do it. Like you can go, you can listen. You can have full confidence that she loves Jesus. Okay. Like, go and listen to her. She loves Jesus. What did I do next, though? I went to that Sunday school teacher, and I was like, hey, look. You were buying alcohol? She's like, it was for cooking. I was like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> like that's not the point of this whole thing. Like, it doesn't matter. Here's what happened, though. So-and-so saw it, and just know that it hurt your credibility a little bit with her. Now, in that moment, what do we want to do? Well, that's her problem. Don't tell me what I can do. Don't infringe on my rights. Don't infringe on my freedoms. I can do whatever I want. I'm not going to let some little girl who's in middle school take drinking completely away from me, even cooking with it. Don't mess up my recipe because you're so immature. All right? Like that's, that's kind of the attitude that like a lot of us want to have. Like we really do. But it's not, that's not the, that's not who Paul would, would go against here. That's not the person he would correct. He would correct us for thinking that way. That's not being love. You're not loving someone else because of what's going on, because of, because of what's happening. So, and I looked at her and I just said, hey, look, either A, be more secretive about your alcohol, <laughs> like, right, like whatever, or or B, can you just go apologize? Like, can you go apologize and just kind of mend some things? Cause I know you have a lot of things that you want to teach her about the Lord. And I'm just afraid right now, she's not gonna listen. And so maybe if you guys had a heart to heart about it, then your credibility could be, look, what didn't matter was what was right. What mattered was that there was hurt, all right? That's what mattered, okay? So it very much happens in today's day and age, okay? Um, And then finally, finally, Superior knowledge without love is inferior knowledge. And this is going to be just a super short one right here because we've basically broken this down, okay? Um, And and in verse 10 through 12, he says, for if others see you with your quote-unquote, right, superior knowledge, eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? So because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died is going to be destroyed gave you an example of that just a second ago. And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. So if your knowledge doesn't lead to loving and caring for your fellow brother or sister in Christ, then you have yet to possess real knowledge because not, true knowledge doesn't do that. Superior knowledge that leads someone into sin is inferior knowledge, okay? But a true knowledge is someone who takes that knowledge, is led in allowing love to lead that knowledge. That's what true knowledge is. True knowledge is not what you know. True, true knowledge is what you do with what you know, okay? And if it's cloaked in love, then you really have come to an understanding, right? Um, I love this verse in 1 Corinthians. This is so good. It says, if I understand all of God's secret plans, okay? Like all the freedoms, like all the things, and possess all knowledge, if I possess it all, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. So it's not about the knowledge, okay? True knowledge that comes from the Lord develops rather than destroys, okay? So he's basically telling them, you know, you don't really have knowledge, guys. You think you do. And you came to me because you felt you were the most knowledgeable. And you asked this question because you felt they were infringing on your rights and you were the most knowledgeable about it, but guess what? You're not gonna like what I say because it's you that needs to change. It's not them. You're the one that needs to establish unity, not them. You don't need to bring them up to your level of knowledge. You need to go down and love them is what you need to do, all right? So, we love knowledge. And Christians, you know, especially love to gauge their spiritual maturity by their knowledge, right? Bible trivia, super spiritual. Um, And we have churches full of people, though, who I've told you before, um, I've used this analogy before, are spiritually obese, all right? They feed, they feed, they feed. They got all the knowledge. They're not doing anything with it. They're just just sitting there getting spiritually obese about things, all right? Don't be that. Knowledge isn't the be-all, end-all. Yes, we need to have it but we're supposed to use it in love and specifically in context today among our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to protect each other, all right? So how will this make us better followers of Jesus? How will this better uh, make us representatives of the gospel? Um, And how can this knowledge inform our love? There's one question that we can ask ourselves, all right? When faced with With something, there's one thing that we can ask ourselves. Am I being a stumbling block or a stepping stone? Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, please visit our website at hopecommunitynyc.com.